are Seraphib. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Generation Space podcast, our portfolio spotlight series. In this episode, I'm excited to welcome Luca Rossettini. Luca is the CEO and founder of The Orbit. Luca is a serial entrepreneur who is passionate about seeking the profitable and sustainable expansion of humankind in space. Luca has a long and distinguished track record in the space industry, and following an internship in the US at NASA in 2011, Luca returned to Italy to found The Orbit and develop a solution for a very important problem, a solution for space debris. But I've summarised that quite a lot, so I'll let Luca explain a little bit more. Hi, Luca. Hi, hello. It's a pleasure to be here today. Thank you for joining us today. And I'm also pleased to welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Maureen Haverty, who's Investment Principal at Seraphim. And she works closely with Luca and the rest of the team at The Orbit. Hi, Maureen. Hi, Leo. Good to be back. Thank you, Maureen. Right, I'll get straight to into the questions. Um, Luca, can you tell everyone and us a little bit about your background and how you first got into space? So let's say that I always wanted to go to space since I was a five-year-old kid, as probably many kids, right? So they want to become an astronaut. I wanted to become an astronaut. That's when I started my space career. I planned my life to become an astronaut, all the university masters and all the training, um, army officer and so on. Everything was designed to give me enough scores to become an astronaut. And I even create two companies just because of the flexibility that you have in order to have enough time to be prepared to become an astronaut. So when 2008, the astronaut contest in Europe arrived, uh, you know, I fought to have whatever it, it takes to become an astronaut. But if I'm here today, you know, I'm not an astronaut, so, so you know how the story ended. So uh, something didn't go as expected at the very last phase of the selection. My psychological profile was not suitable to become an astronaut. Apparently, the, the good excuse is that an entrepreneur is not the best to be an astronaut, that should execute not to put at risk the entire mission. But then, you know, at that time, I said, wow, I made all in with my life just to go to space, and now I don't have this chance anymore. I said, well, if my psychological profile is not suitable, so it means that I'm too crazy to become an astronaut. Maybe I'm crazy enough to build my own spaceship. I went to Silicon Valley. I studied business there. I won a Fulbright scholarship, started working at NASA. And the funny story is that at NASA it was 29, 2009. So new space was not even in the dictionary. It was like only government business, defense business. Uh, at NASA was working on this project that was called the PhoneSat. It was a small satellite using the Google Nexus One phone, smartphone, inside, uh, instead of computers and actuators and uh, sensors and everything. And in my team, there were Krish Boschwitzen and Will Marshall, then later on founded Planet Labs. At that point, 2010, we understood that the market was going to change soon. And he said, wow, that's nothing in the industry for this new market. There is no technology, no computers, no sensors, anything that can sustain a commercial market. So 2010, ready to start a company. US was not suitable at that time as a foreigner. So I came back to Europe. I thought it was easy to find money, by the way. Uh, you know, I said, oh, I work at the NASA. I have a business plan, a lot of money in the space industry in the future. I will sure find a lot of investors willing to give me money. No one was willing to put a penny on the space sector at that time. So it took a year to start the company. In 2011, we started. So that's, that's how I arrived at the, at the space business. 
That's fascinating to have been involved so long and that just shows your passion in the industry. And, and what about Deorbit it, itself? You know, you touched on that slightly, but can you tell us a little bit more about how that began and what happened? In, in order to get there, to reach that uh, science fiction vision that I, that I described before, we need to start from something. The first step was this decommissioning device that is basically an intelligent motor autonomous and independent that you can install on satellites before they go to space, capable of removing them at the end of life when they are not in use anymore. But if you see this from a different perspective, it's a small satellite, very reliable, that you plug into a bigger satellite. The step was quite easy uh, for us to move from a device into a small satellite. At that point was 2015, and we realized that the small satellite market was developing quite fast. I said, okay, it's time to, to start working on, a, on the logistics service. ION came into the, into the market. So even ION, ION is our cargo vehicle capable of transporting other satellites. The way we conceive it, we said, okay, if we put a small satellite into a big box, you ended up with a bigger satellite with a lot of empty space that you, can, that you can fill up with other stuff, satellites or any technology you want to transport in space. That's how ION came into, into reality. At the end, in 2019, we were able to book the first flight for ION. Then the launch was delayed by almost two years, so we were able to launch successfully in 2020, and that's where the logistics market started. That's what we are doing now. So transportation of satellites into the right location in orbit, doesn't matter where it is, we can go pretty much anywhere around the Earth, saving up to 85% time from launch to revenues for our customers, but even 40% of the, of the cost when, when you have to deploy the entire constellations without the need of using multiple launches all the time. On top of that, we realized that, wow, we have a, a very good asset in orbit that we use to transport satellites. What can we do with the same asset once we complete the phase of transportation? We can deliver many additional services to our customers. For example, we can help the ecosystem accelerating the go-to-market phase. 80% of the public money invested in research and development in the space sector, both in Europe and in US, uh, doesn't get to market. And one of the reasons why it is happening is because there's no way of testing this technology in space. So if you don't get the validation in orbit, no one is going to buy your technology. So what we do now, we offer these capabilities, all the startups at the, like in four different continents, they can plug their technology on our cargo. And after we deploy all the satellites, we start, we start testing for them the technology in months rather than years. We use the cargo as a computational node of a space cloud computing network that we are building. We already have three nodes in orbit that basically are the same cargo that we use to deploy the satellites that are still there. And they are used to run AI or machine learning algorithms from, from customers to process data directly in orbit. We sign a contract to deliver two nodes for a European constellation. That's what we can do with the, with the asset that we use on the main business. There is a third line of business that I like to mention. So we are not flying that yet, but we are already working under contract. There is in-orbit servicing. If you consider ION, that is like 300 to 500 kilos platform, and you expand it a bit and you add 
robotic capabilities, then you have a vehicle with uh, autonomous enough and intelligent enough, capable of moving around and grab satellites that are already in space to extend their life, acting as a taxi, so moving them into other locations in orbit, and then at the end, removing them in order to avoid issues with the defunct satellites threatening all the other satellites in the same, in the same location. And the first uh, paid mission, it's happening in about uh, three years from now. And we are working with, with partners on that at the European level, but we are already receiving requests from like satellite operators all over the world. So that's, that's going to become a very interesting sector to be. Stuff. Thank you for explaining that, Luca. And Maureen, I'll go over to you. How did Seraphim first come across Diorbit? So we first invested in Diorbit in 2020, which is several years before I joined Seraphim. I personally have actually known uh, Luca and Diorbit for even longer than that because the company I was CEO at Apollo Fusion we, first of all, were very familiar with the orbital tugs that were in the market and also uh, potentially uh, we're considering deorbit launching us for one of our first missions. So I've known Luca for some time and have been very impressed by what deorbit have achieved. It was a really ambitious plan and I think they've delivered on that really well. So it's uh, always really cool when your path crosses again with someone you've worked with in a previous job. Awesome. Thanks, Maureen. Luca, can you give us an understanding of the scale of your organization today? So, for example, how many employees do you have? We know you're based in, in, in Italy, but do you have any other offices? And, and then a little bit about funding. How much have you currently raised to date? Yeah, so the Orbit today, it's about 280 people. We have the production facility uh, in Italy where the headquarters are. It's based not far from Lake, uh, lake Como. We like to say that it's Lake Como. The reality is that to have a building on the lake is going to be too expensive. So, But we are five minutes driving from there. Then we have a company in UK, in Harwell. In UK, what we do, it's, uh, it's everything related to the cloud computing in orbit. Very likely, we will start working on the production of the uh, decommissioning devices there. We have a, a company in Portugal. In Portugal, we develop all the software that we use to control our fleet in orbit. And they are taking care also of most of the operations that we are running on our fleet of ions in orbit. We do have a company in the US. It's a Delaware corporation. We actually created a company a long time ago. Uh, we were a little bit naive at that time. We thought that, you know, if you have a company in the U.S., you can do business in the U.S. Yeah, it's not like that. <laughs> but anyway, it's particularly useful now when, when you work with the U.S. partners uh, and we use it as an integration facility uh, when we launch from U.S. And uh, I have to say that we launch a lot from U.S. because we use SpaceX as a, like one of the most uh, important launchers that, that we buy from. That's where we are. In terms of capital raise, Let's say that up to 2020, that was uh, basically the last equity round that, that we made, we raised 20 million, of which 10 million in 2020. So that's what we use to create the logistics market on the space economy uh, sector. Since then, we started working on the, on the, on the IPO at Nasdaq exactly when it was probably the worst moment to do that. Luckily, we realized that that was not a good, um, a good decision, so we stopped. But in the meanwhile, we raised a pre-IPO bond 
that in theory was supposed to be 40 million, but it went oversubscribed to 52. And that's it. That's, that's what we raised so far. Well, you have explained already, obviously, everyone knows that maintaining a sustainable, sustainable space environment is important. But, you know, can you tell everyone a little bit more about that and just how important it is and how, you know, you are supporting the, the new space economy as a business? Let me take one step back. One of the steps that I took in order to become an astronaut was also studying a lot of different topics. And uh, one of my masters was in uh, strategic sustainability that actually opened my mind. So I was working with this um, NGO, it's called The Natural Step. They are in 17 countries and they invented a very interesting framework that is called the Natural Step Framework. It's an open source. You can find it on the internet and use it. And we were using it to help big corporations to make more money becoming sustainable. So when I started the orbit, I applied that framework. Whatever we want to do in the future, doesn't matter if you work in space or in any other sector. If you don't create a business that is capable of future, therefore we create a future that is capable of future, there will be no business in the future for no one. So it's mandatory. The only difference is that whatever happens in space, it's so fast that we cannot even imagine. So if you pollute a river today, it takes uh, years to pollute the sea and the ocean. If you have a junk satellite in orbit that crash into another one, in 90 minutes you have polluted most of the orbits around the planet. So we cannot afford that. So that's why it is important not even to think just to debris mitigation. So we need to imagine a scenario in which space debris, garbage, waste is not there. And then from that scenario, we need to plan what we have to do in order to get there and generate business out of it. Have you got any new products then on the horizon that you can let everyone know about or is this just still ongoing? The D3 was our very first product, the decommissioning device that was created not just to slow down satellites and remove them, but to get rid of them in the least amount of time. And that's the first product we launched on the market. We actually received very recently an an award from the European Patent Office as uh, uh, one of the 12 best uh, inventions of the year. Even ION, ION is using, first of all, it's fully redundant space vehicle. And that's good for the customers as well, right? Because you want to be hosted in a very reliable spacecraft if if you want to transport your asset. But on the other end, it ensures that if something goes wrong, and you know, space is a statistical business, So you have to be ready uh, for something that is going wrong. So if something goes wrong, you have another chance. And at the end, you can remove it using a D3, like a version of a D3 that we have installed. It's designed to maintenance. So it could be totally dismantled uh, and recycled in orbit in the future. And during the re-entry, will completely burn uh, through the atmosphere. So in theory, nothing should fall and hit uh, like people or house or like buildings. And then at the end, there is the in-orbit servicing. One of the main capabilities that we are developing, it's really the capability of removing satellites at the end of life. Of course, this is a business today, but let's let's see what's coming next. Why the orbit is interested at, let's say, extending the life of satellites or removing the satellites at the end of life? Yes, because it's useful today. You can make money, you help the, the ecosystem. But at the same time, 
space debris is going to become one of the biggest market in the near future. If you control the space debris, then you have the raw material for all the orbital manufacturing. So you can transport raw material being paid to do that and you have something to sell and you have new space vehicles built in orbit as well that are closing the loop. So you will have a closed loop directly in space without involving Earth anymore. Fascinating stuff. Thank you, Luca. Um, back to you, Maureen. Um, what makes the orbit stand out to you from an investor perspective? First of all, the problems that Deorbit is tackling are big problems now and becoming bigger problems later. So I really like that Deorbit found this problem with Rideshare, which is a really great enabler for access to space, but leaves a lot of companies effectively stranded with gaps in their constellations and found a way to solve that problem. Then use those orbital tugs to start working on in-orbit computing, cloud computing and edge computing, which I think is going to be a really key enabler to solve the data downlink bottleneck. And then obviously taking that technology again and using it to go after in-orbit servicing, which is really the challenge of the future, which is we have all of these really great assets that are generating a lot of money for their owners. How do you actually extend the life of them or do we actually need to launch a really new expensive asset again? They're just three problems that Deorbit is tackling in this kind of sequential order, leveraging its really amazing engineering team and leveraging its you know really exceptional track record in orbital tugs. So Deorbit has had 11 successful orbital tug missions delivering well over 100 payloads to orbit and really its competitors really maybe have its best competitor might have had one uh, successful mission so that hopefully illustrates the the technical excellence of the deorbit team and the confidence we have that they will be able to tackle any challenge or, or any new sector they set out to do because they are starting from this really great base of engineering excellence with a demonstrated record of success. Can you go in a little bit deeper into the size of the addressable market at the moment? The first market ride share for satellite launch is probably one of the smaller markets for it to tackle. It, you know, that's a, a couple of billion dollar market. Then in, in orbit and edge computing really could be a multi-billion dollar market, depending on how you decide to tackle that, how you decide to generate revenue from that. For those who are not familiar, basically what edge computing in space would basically mean all of these satellites are taking lots of images of the earth. Images uh, are really large. And rather than sending them back down to earth in this data bottleneck where it's really slow, expensive to send all the data back to earth, why don't you just send only the useful data back to earth, whether that's a single image or actually just actionable insights from that image. To do that, you need to do your compute in space. You need to do all of your analysis in space. Deorbit allows you to do that. So you can see, given the fact that AWS is such an enormously large company and system offering cloud computing on Earth, that you can see how that could be a really large market in space. And then in-orbit servicing, again, that can be really a multi-billion dollar market by tackling really the, the hundreds of satellites that customers would like to extend their life of. Thanks, Maureen. And Luca, we, we, we've heard that Deorbit are way ahead of their competitors, but do you have any competitors that you can mention? Who are they at the moment? This is a time-dependent question, right? Because if you ask me who are the competitors today, probably I have very little to say, but there are a lot of players coming to the, into the market right now. 
Some of them tried in the past and they didn't have a lot of lucky time, but they are trying again. And some new players are coming to, into the market right now. So I think now, like worldwide speaking, there are a dozen players that are working on their orbital transfer vehicle. The most advanced are Momentus. Well, spaceflight now, we have to see if they, they are going ahead with that. We have Launcher, we have Impulse Space, uh, we have Exotrail in Europe, and and few others. So let's say they are still uh, in the trial and error phase. That's, that's a typical phase you need to go through when you work in the space sector. But I'm pretty sure that some of them will be successful very soon. And by the way, we need someone else in this market. You know, at the beginning, you want to be the only one, right? So when you speak with investors, oh, what's the unique capabilities you have? Are, are you able to dominate the market? The reality if I look at my procurement, I don't have one single supplier for anything. And it's happening now that some of the big players that are willing to use my service, they say, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if I want to sign for the entire constellation for the next 10 years. Because if you are the only one providing this service and something happened to the orbit, maybe the orbit changed strategy, they want to bet only on in-orbit servicing and forget the transportation, then how can I run my business? So that's why we are also working with our competitors. And I like to say that when the market is young, as the space market is, so we should not focus on competition, but rather on cooperation. Space is notorious for co-opetition, where, you know, some of the space companies will will compete on some contracts or on, in some areas and then cooperate in other areas because some of the technical challenges are so enormous that really no company can actually handle all of them itself. So that's why, for example, Luca and Deorbit for one of their in-orbit servicing, you know, programs in Europe is working with Talis Alenia Space. And I think that's reflective of the fact that, you know, Deorbit needs to partner with a larger company, but it's also really exciting that Talis Alenia Space is one of the world's largest space companies. And they see that Deorbit has unique capabilities that a task doesn't have. So I think that's really interesting. And also I think what's exciting for us as investors or something that investors often look at is, Okay, if you've no competitors, what does that mean? Does that actually mean this is a really tiny market? And I think it's really exciting and reassuring that many competitors are now starting to enter, for example, the orbital tug market because they see that there is a real market there. The challenge for deorbit is to play nicely with them, but also obviously eventually win. So cooperating maybe as successfully as possible. Amazing. That's awesome. Thank you for explaining that to everyone. Um, and what, what in your mind, Luca, are the orbit's biggest achievements to date and what are you personally most proud of? What I'm really proud is is of the, the people that I have in the company. They are they are really amazing. You know, when uh, so the, the, the CEO job it's apart from, I, I like to say that my job is reading emails. So my job is actually solving issues that one, no one else is able to solve, right? So you, you only see the bad stuff, right? Once in a while, you need to get uh, some light. So what I do, I walk in the corridors of the company, like through production and in the clean room, and you see the sparks in the eyes of the people. 
that's that's the the biggest motivation say wow these people are here because they they are building their own dreams in, into my dreams creating a business that will uh, last forever and that's something so strong so powerful that give you a lot of motivation because it's very easy to find obstacle in space especially when you are creating markets so the the, the what the orbit does it's finding niche where no one is there and then we create a market out of it so but when you are creating market and you have very young people in the company with no reference outside then all these people need a very a lot of motivation right because uh, you cannot say okay they are doing it in this way i can do it better you say oh wow no one is doing that how can i do this so that's that's what really make me going to the next day and the next day and the next day every single day Amazing. Thank you. Um, what about milestones? Can you explain to everyone what's coming up next for the orbit? We have three lines of business, as I mentioned before. So the transportation that is going on, we already have uh, several launch already booked in uh, 2024. And we start also to have launch slots in 2025, something that is not yet public but it's, it's not it's not a secret we are also working on an additional mission in 2024 that was not uh, planned because of the let's say high demand of satellite operators to fly so that's that's a very good um, a, a very good line of business we will keep working on that we will keep improving our platform to be able to offer always better services to our customers the second line of business is very interesting. So uh, what Maureen said uh, before about the space cloud computing, it's going to become really massive. I mean, if we think about, we cannot conceive a business without a, a cloud. Today, we live within a cloud. How is possible to conceive a business in space without the cloud, without the flow of information from point to point in space, right? So that's what we are building now. This is going to be a distributed cloud computing. So we are talking with many other companies that are willing to do the same. Again, in the you know within the framework of uh, co-petition, it's actually a distributed cloud computing. We have a goal of a big project right now that we are working together with partners that we should see the light at the beginning of next year. And uh, the third one, it's uh, signing this uh, uh, big contract this year on in-orbit servicing for the very first paid mission. This is going to be one of the biggest accomplishments for the entire Europe, uh, probably one of the very first uh, fully served in-orbit servicing mission at worldwide level. And are you allowed to tell everyone a little bit about profits, Luca? Like when, when will you get the orbit into profit? Let's say that I never really put a lot of attention on getting to EBITDA positive at the very beginning because we were focusing on growing the company, growing the market, growing the business. So actually we decided to invest uh, every penny that we were making, even more money than what we were making at the beginning. As it's typical in the, in the tech sector and if you are competing in a global market, right? So you have to be fast. The reality is that now, naturally, when the business is getting traction, naturally you go up from the negative curve and we are expecting to reach a positive EBITDA by the end of this year, beginning of the next. That's going to be a big accomplishment and realize that typically if, if you want to reach a positive EBITDA, you have to slow down. That's the law of physics, right? Unless your business is going so well, then you naturally goes up. So I have to say that I'm particularly happy to see that the, the business is going that direction. 
But still, I think uh, the Orbit is also one of the oldest company in the in the space. Actually, we created the company when the new space was not even there. So I'm expecting that many, many of all the other space companies that are still in the like in the negative curve will uh, very soon rise and become profitable as well. Awesome. That's really exciting to hear. And I recently read that you've secured some multi-million contracts under Italy's National Recovery and Resilience Plan. That's really exciting news. Can you tell everyone a bit more about these contracts and what that means for you and the team? Sure. So a couple of years ago, when, when we saw that the financial markets were really going bad, we decided to invest more into the institutional market but in a different way. So we try to consider the institutional market as a sort of, uh, let's say, platform where we can have more power and more leverage into the commercial market later on. So we start working with governments in order to develop capabilities that are useful for the government today, but also enabling the orbit to tackle new markets like tomorrow. It took a couple of years, as I said, you know, working with the government is not easy, especially in Europe, where if you are small and born yesterday, then, you know, you, you are not so important. But still, when you have 13 successful space missions, 11 cargos in orbit that are perfectly working, 94% of the mass launched in orbit in, in Italy in the last three years that was launched by a single company, then, of course, the, the perceptions start changing. And we were able to attract the interest of the government. So the Italian government, thanks to the European big program post-COVID, were able to secure 2 billion euro for the space market only in Italy, that you have to sum to the additional 4 billion, like 2 given given to ESA and 2 for internal use. So it's 6 billion euro, it's, it's a big market for the government space sector. And they start asking us if we can uh, support uh, participating to tenders, developing technologies that is critical and strategic for the country and for the, the entire Europe. And we were selected among them. So, so far we had a contract for using an ion-like platform at service of a European, like Italian constellations for Earth observation. And we are, we are already start developing it. Then we have a contract for in-orbit servicing together with Thalesalenia Space. It's one of the main players in, in Europe and at, at world level, I would say. And uh, another one for two nodes for the cloud computing in orbit and a couple of other smaller contracts, but still in the order of few million each. So it, it's uh, so far, I have to say that we have about 100 million in secure contract if, if we sum the institutional plus the commercial, and we should reach about 150 million signed contract in 2023. That it's a very good start for 2024. Of course, signed contract means that the revenues are coming like in the following months, but still, it, it's a very good sign that the space market is uh, it's steadily growing. Yes, definitely. A, a great sign. Thank you. At, at Seraphim, and Maureen will agree, we always like to back visionary founders. And I think that's what we found in you and Deorbit. But what's your vision for the future when Deorbit will become this huge success? You know, when when at the beginning we were telling the, the vision of the orbit, we like a lot of people were, were making fun of us. So we stop and we, we just focus on the short term. Now we can say more because we are not 
the only one uh, anymore to talk about, but I'm not going to tell you the, the, the full story. So I, I'm, I'm telling you the intermediate vision that, that we have right now. That's what you put in the pitch, right? So you don't want to scare investors. So otherwise you, you look too visionary. They want to they wanna see money at the end, like uh, at the end of the balance sheet. So what we are working on now, and I think it's pretty evident on the, on like by the products and services that we are offering to our customers, is creating this uh, logistics network connecting uh, Mars, uh, the asteroid belt, Moon and Earth, capable of transporting goods, people and information. So at the moment, we are transporting goods and creating the infrastructure for the connection. So transportation of information. Someone else is working on orbital manufacturing facilities to build a big vehicle that you will need to connect the other celestial bodies. And someone else is also working to transport people. So that's what we envisage and what we are working for. So a lot of stuff to do, a lot of work to do, but still like an exciting business. And when you think about the market, so if you, if we, if you look at the total space market today, that it's, uh, it's going to become like a trillion or a trillion point something, it's peanuts in comparison to what's going to happen in the next decade. It's just peanuts. So that's why it's important, whatever you do today, design it to make money today, but design it also to make money tomorrow. You have to be ready for what is coming tomorrow because it will arrive way, way sooner than expected. Amazing. Thank you both for joining me today. It's been fascinating to hear from you, Luca, and just to understand that your commitment to creating a sustainable space environment and just to you know, descending to your bit into the stratosphere. And thank you, Maureen, for joining me as well and explaining that to everyone. We are Seraphim.